God the refuge of his people and conqueror of the nations. And uh, starts out to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Alamoth, a uh, great name of a man if uh, you're looking for names for your kids here tonight. Anybody? Anybody looking for names for children here? Let's write it down. Well, you know, we're running out of options here. <laughs> Mark's taken. <laughs> but, uh, man, that just made it worse. Um, so Alamoth, uh, or however you would say that, perhaps he was a songwriter. First Chronicles mentions him, that uh, they would write songs with strings according to Alamoth. So maybe he was a lead guitarist or something like that in the uh, heavy metal Jewish band there back in the day. But um, anyways, we don't have much more than that. And we don't have a lot of background um, on this psalm as to where it, what it was written from. But we have in verses 1 through 3 the wonderful presence of God in cosmic troubles. So verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So even tonight as we come here, we, we can find Wednesday night to even be a refuge. As we just spend time worshiping him and in his presence, uh, we can find even this place uh, or wherever we're at, obviously, to be a refuge, a cave for us. Uh, and even more than a cave, some kind of a fortification or fortress or a place of protection. David would write from all kinds of different fortifications. He would write from caves and he would find, man, caves make pretty good um, protection. It, they make great refuges. Um, and so can castle walls and city walls. They can as well. But, you know, David would um, chime in with the sons of Korah here that, you know, the Lord makes the best refuge wherever you're at. And I just found myself... Um, Pretty much 10 minutes after I hit the books today studying, um, already needing to run to him for shelter and refuge. And so um, I'm sure that each one of us at a different time today just needed to run into that refuge and fortification. I like how Psalm 62, 7 and 8 says it. Linz, will you read that? Psalm 62, 7 and 8. So we can come to that refuge when we trust in him, when we rest in him, when we pour out our hearts to him. And, you know, verse one, man, it is just uh, so poetic, so beautiful, so something that you can memorize and, and quote. It's a quotable psalm as it ends with this, a very present help in trime, time of trouble. So he is a strong presence when we are hurting, when we are broken, when we are fearful. He's a powerful presence. And, and I like that that word presence mean, you can, it means you can actually even meet him accidentally. And he's someone that is so obtainable that um, you, you could even stumble upon him as a refuge and as a help. And how many of us have that as our story, just in the depths of despair? And there he was. Um, how does it, is it put in Acts chapter 18 that... Um, that we might, by some means, grope for him, and he would be found. That's just coming to me right now, but uh, 
Yeah, it's Psalm 17, 27. Um, he says that they should seek the Lord in a hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. And that's just how readily available he is. Even for the pagans, the Lord has set up the nations the way that they are all throughout history in a way that he's working in that system, in that environment, that, that they might find him because he is that very present help in time of trouble. It's a, he's achievable and obtainable, not by our own merit. He's just there waiting, um, waiting for us. Uh, I like the literal translation of this. He is an abundantly available help. He is an abundantly available help. Is there anybody here that just tonight you could lift your hand up and say, this is for me tonight. I'm just glad I came because he, yeah, right? I'm actually raising my hand right now because this is for me. He is an abundantly available hope. And we just don't run to him so often. We just try to let it fester and let murmur in and of ourselves and just, man, maybe if I complain enough, this will solve this or, you know, and man, it's just run into that cave, you know, run into that shelter. Language even speaks of a shelter from a storm. Just run in there. And he is there, an abundantly available help in time of trouble, in time of need, in time of distress, in time of anxiety, in time of warfare, he's available for us there. Look at what Deuteronomy 4, 7 says. And Blaine, will you read this passage? And I like that we've been grafted into that promise by grace, Romans tells us, that we're part of that national heritage of Israel, that uh, God is so near to us. He's right there for whatever reason we might call upon him. Again, the literal, he is an abundantly available help. How available is he? Abundantly. He is a very present help in time of trouble. Look at what Psalm 145, 18 says. Mark, will you read that? So he's near. He's available. He's abundantly available. He's near to those that would call upon him. And importantly, who would call upon him in truth. Not according to our ideas of who he is, but who he says that he is according to his word. Would you call out to him, help me, Lord, tonight? Help me, Lord, tonight. Our God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. In Matthew, there's the story of Jesus going out and going towards the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a woman of Canaan came out of the region and says to him, uh, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he didn't even answer her a word. And the disciples were like, hey, sh shoo her off. Shoo her on. She's being a distraction. Get her on out of here. And then she keeps persistently crying after him. And he says, he kind of is teasing her. Like, you know, it's like, kind of like a little playful, like, hey, I, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, or it, it, maybe teasing isn't the right word, but he's, he's kind of provoking faith in her. And she comes and worships him, it says, and says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. First it was, have mercy on me. My daughter's severely demon-possessed. Then even more, she's worshiping him, 
saying, Lord, help me. And then he, again, a little teaser, a little, little provoking. He says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. In a sense, kind of that Deuteronomy passage that Blaine just read of like, what other God is there that has, or what other nation has a God like this that's just right there ready to help? Oh, well, that's for Israel. You know, in a sense, that what Jesus would, hey, that's, this promises are for Israel here. Should we take, you know, should we take the feast off the table and throw it to the little dogs? It's for Israel. And then she says, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answers her and says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And the reason I share that is because here you have someone who found Jesus to be the refuge, the very present help in time of trouble. And as she just would cry out, help me, have mercy upon me. Like, I won't let go. You, poor, come on, let the, even if it's a crumb, I'm just a puppy dog. I'll just, I'll take a crumb from your table. And he says, uh, let it be as you desire. Another place in the scripture where we see someone crying out to Jesus for help is when Jesus comes to the boat with the disciples. And as he comes to the boat, first they think he's a ghost, and then they say, oh wait, it's the Lord. And then Peter says, if that's you, Lord, let me come out and walk to you on the water. All right, come on out, Pete. And so Peter comes on out. But when Peter saw, Matthew 14 tells us, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Those are some of the three most powerful words in the single most powerful prayer that we have in scripture. Lord, save me. And there Jesus is and he's standing over the boat and he is a like ready help. He's an abundantly available help. Peter's here, he's starting to sink and Peter just says, uh, hey, Lord, save me. And it says, immediately... Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. That would be the ready help in time of need. That would be the uh, very present help in time of need. That would be the abund an abundantly available help in time of need. And Peter is in need. You know, Lord, save me. And he's caught. And that's the Lord for us tonight. And you know, there's only, whatever, a little handful, 14 people here, 10. I don't know, I'm not good at estimating numbers. But you just got to know the Lord has this for us tonight. And I had my hand up that I'm one of those that just need the help of the Lord. I'm the one that needs that. I'm feeling anguish. I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling turmoil. And run into the cave tonight. Run into the cave where Jesus is. And let him be that fortress. And verse 2 says, Therefore, we will not fear. So because he is a refuge... Because he's a shelter, because he's strength, because he's right there, right when we need him to save us and to help us. Because of that, that's what therefore is pointing back to, we will not fear. And I like that it's so definitive, like we won't, We're not going to, we will not fear. Even if the earth is removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, still not going to fear. Still not going to fear. I mean, that's crazy stuff right there. Even if its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, 
crazy geographical cosmic stuff going on. Not afraid. Why? Because of the therefore. Because of our God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. We do not need to panic or be anxious because we have a fortress to run to for protection and for comfort. We live in a world fraught with fears. We've got all kinds of phobias. Luke speaks of it as men's hearts failing in them because of fear. Anybody ever feel like that? Like your heart is just like failing within you because of fear? Even if the earth is removed, and the language there is if there's a change or an exchange on the earth. And, you know, as you read some of the cosmic stuff that the Bible predicts will one day happen and this and that, we're talking mountains being full-on cast into the sea. We're, we're just cataclysmic, catastrophic, crazy cosmic stuff where there is, there's a change of how there were the three sisters there and now there's the four brothers here because those are gone and now they're, you know, like even if that were to happen, it's okay. Or if the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea. And the word carried means to sway and be made to swagger and to totter or to shake, uh, as is speaking of the, um, it says, uh, even though they are carried into the midst of the sea and then the uh, mountains in verse 3 shake with a swelling and it means quaking and causing to leap. It's interesting, I didn't know this till reading this afternoon. Uh, as one man wrote, it could describe an earthquake or an eruption such as happened at Krakatau near Java in 1883 when five cubic miles of matter exploded and a mountain vanished. And I've, I've never heard of that. What was it, Krakatau? Or? Well, apparently other people have heard of it. Krakatoa? Mark? You heard of that one? Okay, at least we got. We're coming. <laughs> oh, there's a movie. Well, man, I've been missing out. But we did just have, what is it, the 35th anniversary of Mount St. Helens erupting? And you can look at the before and after picture. You know, man, if you were living right there, you know, your heart trembles. You know, your heart would tremble. You know, my uh, aunt and uncle lived in view of the mountain um, and had ash falling down upon them. And and uh, those could be scary times. And as we look at the effects of the past tsunamis, and as the psalm speaks about, what does he say about the waters? The waters roar and make a loud noise and are troubled. And the language speaks of like white water and cresting of waves. Terrifying moments like the tsunami coming in. Just absolutely terrifying times. Or literal earth-shaking events so large that they could replace geographic locations right now just this year you know the reports come out about the great earthquake that it's not a matter of if it will happen but when it will happen along the pacific uh coast here and i mean our hearts can tremble like so much and it not that it's not wise to have good plans but to consume yourself with fear rather than resting in the lord where hey even if prineville dropped off the map the Lord, the Lord, we trust in the Lord. 
It's Psalm 93, verses 3 and 4. Will you read this one, Casey? Don Williams said, Hurricane and tidal wave cannot touch us, and neither can earthquake or avalanche. Through it all, God, the creator and sustainer of this lively planet, holds us fast. And so there's a reason for confidence. There's a reason we can have confidence. And verse 4 through 7 tell us why that is possible. We can have confidence because God is near. And there's a presence of God, even in times of cataclysmic judgment. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. So verses 1 through 3 speak, speak event of events that cause waters to be tumultuous and rapid-like and to be cresting, and they're like stage 5, you know, white water. And then we have verse 4. There's a river whose streams will make glad the city of God. Total difference, huh? It seems to lead us beside still waters now. And there's a stream or a river that brings peace and joy rather than fear and trepidation. Let me read Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. This is a stream of water that appears to be coming out of the city of God or the presence of the throne of God. It says, Ezekiel writes, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came to my knees. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. The water came to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river, and I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim. A river that could not be crossed. He said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned, there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and another. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. So it's prophetic. You read of this also in Zechariah. If in the day of the Lord, this, the presence of the Lord will bring fresh water it'll go clear over to the dead sea to the salt sea where there's no life where it's 30 times saltier than the ocean and i've been there and you can float in it because it's so salty you can't sink but nothing lives in it and prophecy says when jesus comes back water is going to flow east to west from sea to sea and bring life into this desert area and everything that it touches will be healed um, everything will live wherever the river goes. Verse 10, it shall be that fishermen will stand by it from En Gedi to En Eglium. They will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many, but its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. Along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food 
and their leaves for medicine. Now, as you read that, if you're also familiar to Revelation, at the end of the book in chapter 22, you read of the new heaven and the new earth, and you read of this new Jerusalem. You read of the city of God. And we read also in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3, John is shown a pure river, a water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Fruit of the month club. It's a whole new meaning to it, right? The leaves of the tree were used for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And so we have just... A future water of life. Ezekiel prophesies of it. Revelation prophesies of it. And we look forward to it. One beautiful thing about that, it says in our psalm tonight in verse 4, there's a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. But then also, just as beautiful in this verse, is that it's the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High God. What brings the springs of life and healing and renewal? The presence of God. And even in our Revelation passage, the beautiful part of it all, the pinnacle of the beautiful city, is that there's no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. This river comes from the presence of God. It comes from the throne of God. And Jesus are there. His presence. That's what the, the psalmist prophesies of where the beautiful waters of of healing and the waters of life come from now it would be awful it would be a bummer to come here tonight and just look forward to something like that and the wonderful thing is is it's not just future but it's present as well here tonight for us and jesus spoke of this water of life in john seven thirty seven. i just love the way john writes this because he says on the last day the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so I just love that Jesus stood up in public in the midst of the feast and he just said, if anyone thirsts, you know, the, out of your heart, if you believe in him and have come to him and drank, out of the heart would flow rivers of living water. And it, it, it's the reference to the Holy Spirit, John tells us. That anyone who believes and drinks of Jesus will have the Spirit of God just bubbling out of him. The person and work of the Holy Spirit. You know, I like Ezekiel's passage that we read just a minute ago because out of the, you know, the river's coming out of the temple, it's going, it's bringing life, and uh, Ezekiel's supposed to measure it, and he, it starts out and he goes over his ankles, you know, and that's great, that's wonderful, but the Lord says, go further and, and measure deeper, and it goes deep, you know, it's up to the knees, it's up to the hips, it's up to the, it's over his head, he's got to swim, that's how deep and wonderful this river is, and just... If you're here tonight and your life seems dry and your life, you're in the midst of the, the tumultuous cosmic and spiritual storms that the writer has written of so far, 
And I encourage you, come into the river tonight. You know, you don't need to be afraid because there's a river. There's a river that you can, and, and maybe in your life you've gone to your ankle bones into the river. And you've found, ah, oh, there's some pleasing things in Jesus. And the Lord would just say to you tonight, deeper, go deeper. And maybe some of you, I've gone to my knees, Lord, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's refreshing, it's nice and cool. Deeper. My hips, Lord, deeper. Just submerge me, Lord. Submerge me in this water of life that one day will physically heal the planet, but tonight it's available in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's probably way out of context, but I'm just thinking of um, Peter when he's, Jesus is like, let me wash your feet. And Peter says, not so, Lord, you shouldn't wash mine, I should be washing yours. And, and, you know, Jesus says, hey, if you're going to have part of the kingdom, I've got to be a servant to you. And what does Peter say? Hey, not my feet only, but my hands and my whole body, (laughs) you know. And, And maybe that's just us tonight. The Lord wants us to go deeper, go deeper still. Man, can I just read verse 4 again? Because it's just beautiful. There's a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The psalm started out with, man, the Lord is, is a refuge and a strength, a ready help in time of need, even though the mountains are crashing and crumbling and shaking and earthquakes and tsunamis and rivers and bubbling waters, just terrifying stuff. There is a river that is peaceful in the presence of the Lord, and it brings gladness and rejoicing to the people. Verse 5 says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The most beautiful thing about this river is that God's in the midst of it. There's the personal presence of God. Got to help Joe again yesterday, and just as we were moving cows, we had to move the heifers down through the crooked river, and we crossed them across the river and all the cows stopped and drank and the horses stopped and drank and, and we just moved them on into pasture and then we stopped and let our horses drink and we're just sitting there, three guys on horseback and we're just looking at this winding river coming down uh, from Polina area and we're just watching it go and it's just one of the most beautiful, just, was just one of those beautiful, you think of Psalm 23 and David saying he causes me to lie down in green pastures, you know, and just near the watery brook. And, you know, we can go in central Oregon and be there in 10 minutes. We can just walk over there and sit there and we can read this passage. But as beautiful as a river is, it's nothing if his presence is there. He is what makes it wonderful. And notice, when he's there, she shall not be moved. God will help her. The city of God is is called a, a girl here. You know, there's personification just as in Revelation. But notice, God will help her just at the break of dawn. The break of dawn. You know, when you think of guys, if you've read anything about warfare, if you've studied warfare at all, a lot of times in the darkness and in the scary times, guys will be in battle and they're there all night long and they just can't wait for light to come. Because it's just terrifying. And A lot of times you can smell the enemy and they're you know, three feet away from you in the midst of the darkness. You read that so often. And they're just waiting for the break of dawn and they just know there will be hope when the sun comes up. There will be some sort of help that would come. And, uh, and it, that's the case here. Oh, we just know that in the dark time that we're going through, the, the light's going to come up. The sun is faithful to, to come up and we just, he'll be there for you. More faithful than the sun. 
And so there's reason for confidence in the people of God because God is there in our midst and we will not be moved or swayed or staggered or tottered just as the, the mountains can be, but the people of God cannot be. I like what, uh, I think it was Chuck Smith that wrote, though the earth be moved, God is not moved. Though the mountains be shaken, God is never shaken. Though all may fail, God stands. And the second reason why we can have confidence tonight is because God is powerful. Look at verse 6. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. So, the disasters seemed more natural in verses 1 through 3. We've got earthquakes, we've got mountains crumbling, we've got waters and floods and tsunamis and such. And now it seems that they turn to governmental turmoil, which are just as scary, right? Man, when you study the uh, Blitzkrieg of Germany in the 1930s, or you study the siege on Leningrad or Stalingrad, horrifying, terrible times. Um, when you read of our civil war battles and our civil war accounts, and even just civilians who are caught in the crossfire of the battle, that is terrifying when governments fall and when war takes place. Um, nations rage. And it speaks of the people and the pagans um, being just as turbulent and roaring as the whitewater rapids from verses 1 through 3. It says kingdoms were moved. This is sovereign kingdoms that have got power and money and resources and manpower, and yet now they are swaying and staggering and tottering. So it went from natural disaster to governmental disaster among the nations. But listen to this, you guys. This is beautiful. I, man, I love studying the word, especially as you look at it as Christ-centered because you see Jesus in simple word studies. Look at this. He uttered his voice. So, governmental conflict, raging, moving, and he speaks. Now, what's so beautiful about this is the word uttered doesn't mean what you think it would in just like spoke, right? That's what we think with uttered. Uh, spoke or said something. Here's what it means in the, in the Hebrew. He handed down and placed and gave. So when all this conflict would be happening, he gave his voice. Is that taking your mind anywhere? Are you guys seeing anything in the Christ-centered word? He gave his voice. And the word voice is his message and his tidings and proclamation. Rory, what are you getting at here? Well, look at John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the word, the voice, the message, the tidings. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when you're looking at your conflict and the tumult around you, he uttered his voice. He gave the word. He sent his son. 
That's what we're getting at tonight. The word, the voice became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus. In the midst of the trial, there is Jesus. When God utters his voice, it's speaking of he sent the son. And when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him, uh, and let's see here. I may be thinking of, um, there's two places there where you see the Father speaking in the Gospels, and it's Matthew 17, so it's speaking of the transfiguration. A bright cloud overshadows them, and a voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then Matthew's Gospel tells us that God the Father also said, hear him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. He's got a message. He's got something to say. He is the tiding. He is the utterance. He is the gift. He was given. Hear him. And when he came and spoke, the earth melted. These countries and territories wavered. The language means that they swayed back and forward. They undulated. I had to look up that word. I had to look up the word of the word that was the definition. You know, man, you're educated over there to roll and to ripple and to surge. When Jesus came and spoke, the nations melted. And the psalmist prophesies of that in Psalm 2, 1 through 3. Uh, Grandma Barb, will you read this one? I may have either forgotten it or... What do we got, Josh? Technical difficulties? Okay, Psalm 2, 1 and 3. I'll just read it. Why do the nations rage... And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed or his Christ, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So when the voice was given, when Jesus was given, the earth melted. In other words, the nations had some serious troubles with Jesus. And Psalm prophesies therein too that they all came and plotted and planned together. All the rulers did saying, let's get rid of this Christ. Let's break the power that he has over us. Verse 7, we see that God is great militarily as it says, but the Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord is the Lord Yahweh, the Yahweh of hosts. And as I'm teaching this, I'm just thinking of how every time I have to lead worship, you know, you're just like, what songs, Lord? What, you know, what songs? I could just do a random song, but I always am just like, I want songs, you know, from the word that just either prepare us to get in the word or they're responding to that. And it's just so cool that, you know, we are singing Yahweh, Yahweh. And here we have Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, this military, you know, we sing your waves of love, waves after waves crash over me. And we read of Ezekiel, just the waves of the Lord and his living water uh, up over our heads. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Yahweh of hosts. Speaks of the military campaign and his entourage and the large division of troops that he has. No matter what we're going through, the Lord is our refuge. He is our shelter. He's our strength. He's a ready help in time of need. And with his strength, he's got an entourage of help there. Uh, just thinking of Elijah. Or maybe it was Elisha. It was Elisha. And how um, the king of Syria uh, came down to, to capture him. Because Elisha could, could tell his servant everything that the king of Syria even said in his bedroom at night. That's how connected he was to the Lord. And so they came to, to steal him away. 
And the servant was afraid because he looked out across the valley and there all around them were the army of Syria coming to capture Elisha. And Elisha prayed over the servant Gehazi and just said, Lord, just don't let him be afraid and open his eyes to see how powerful you are and what you're doing. As he opened up his eyes, he saw that behind the Syrian army was an army of the Lord, chariots of flaming fire there. And, uh, and then the Lord intervened in an incredible way there. And that's who the Lord has. He is the Yahweh of hosts. And we remember that from Matthew 26, 53, when Peter tried to defend Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He took the sword out and he cut off uh, the servant of Caiaphas's ear there. And Jesus says, don't you think that I can... Uh, that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. Uh, that's Yahweh of hosts. He's the God of the army of angels. Uh, and he is with us, we see. So again, the word sent to us, the utterance, Jesus, he's here with us. And he commands the armies as well. Uh, his name is Emmanuel, Matthew tells us, which is translated God with us. He's with us. He's a refuge. Now, this word refuge doesn't necessarily mean cave. It means high point. So he's not only our cave, but he's our high point, And he's our security. He gives us a view of what's going on in the midst of the battle. In verses 8 through 11, there's only 11 verses tonight, so don't worry, we won't be here too long. We have what's called by one man a vindication of our confidence. We have a reason to be confident as it comes into the kingdom age here and speaks of eschatology. Verses 8 through 11 speak of the presence of God here on earth in three different stages. Uh, in the first stage, we see Jesus vindicated or God vindicated here in judgment. Look at verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. And it kind of, you know, all three commentaries that I read this afternoon each one spoke that there's a shift now speaking of the end times and how it's the Lord that brings judgment. He brings desolations. That's a, a word that's spoken of about end times in Daniel and in Matthew and in Revelation, the desolations. And they speak of horrific, atrocious events, horror moments. But the interesting thing is, and while that is all true, what the sons of Korah tell us are the horror moments are, verse 9, that he makes war to cease on the ends of the earth. That he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He, burden, he burns the chariots in the fire. Now, all the things that the Lord is working, the works of the Lord, they're terrifying and horrible. You know, if you were here going through it as judgment poured out on you. But in the end, it's so he would accomplish the peace. Uh, one man wrote, Verses 8 and 9, see the works of the Lord, is nothing less than the enjoyment of his acts of deliverance and the response of praise to the evidence of his presence. And so if we're in a moment like the psalmist where, you know, we need to come to the refuge, one way that we come to the refuge and come into the cave is that we see the works of the Lord. We think of the faithfulness and all that he's done. And in that, there will be an establishment of his kingdom in peace. As he breaks, or he causes war to end, he breaks the bow, he cuts a spear in two, and he burns a chariot of fire. Look at Isaiah 2, 4. Brenda, will you read this one? 
So this is a messianic prophecy. This is about the end times and his kingdom coming. And we see that there won't be need for swords anymore. Uh, in fact, hey, good news for farmers. Apparently farming is good because they're going to take all that metal and turn it into plow, uh, plowing implements and pruning hooks. So um, we just see that that's what he does when he comes. And even though there's desolations, he's working it towards peace. He even burns the chariot in the fire. We've all heard of chariots of fire. Uh, well, here we have chariots in the fire. <laughs> um, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. And man, that's, isn't just that verse water to your soul in thinking about the, uh, the refuge and the cave and the stronghold that the Lord is? As we are just still and trust him and know that he's God. Uh, even today I was texting back and forth with Adam about kind of a decision that needs to be made. And we were just like, oh, I don't know, man, I could go either way with it. And then, uh, and we kind of were like, okay, this. And then by the end of the evening, it had like made its own decision for itself. And we were like, boy, wasn't it good that we were like, we talked for 20 minutes on the phone about that. That's sure. You know, just like, hey, we just need to like, let's just be still and know that he is God. What a wonderful uh, phrase that's uh, been made into some wonderful music as well. Be still. Uh, release, let go, and know that he is God. No, notice with all the quaking and shaking, shaking and teetering and tottering that's going on the earth, both among the, the planet and among the nations, um, we, in the midst of it, can just be still. Uh, we're driving back from the steak um, dinner that we went to with uh, the men in the church the other night, uh, coming back, and for some reason we got talking about tanks and Military, that's what happens at men's, you know, men's times away. We're like, whoa, oh, we drove by the National Guard Armory and somehow we ended up on the topic of tanks and Kenny Box was talking about how he was a uh, cold weather tester for the army in Alaska. And so they got, when the Abrams tank came out, they got, you know, a brand new tank that they were supposed to let, let freeze basically and test it frozen. Oh, that's an update to our windows there. Um, they were supposed to test it then. And, uh, but they were saying as they would drive the tank around, the tank would be bashing and crashing and, you know, it's giant, like, you know, it's like, it's like your head's going to pop off. And he says, but the turret of the tank is on like a, a gyroscope or something like that. And as the tank is flopping around, the, uh, the turret of the tank is perfectly still, and so Kenny said, man, that's where you'd want to be is in the turret of the tank because it's completely still, and as it's driving around, you can shoot and hit a target uh, because of the gyroscope in there. Not just a picture of the sons of Korah riding in the psalm right now. Like, even though the world is, mountains are moving and oceans are crashing and tsunamis are happening and nations are at war and they're all coming against Jesus, and, you know, just in Jesus, we're just on a gyroscope. You know, we're just not even feeling it, you know, because he is that abundantly available help in time of need. Um, we see in verse 10, his exaltation throughout the earth. As he says, be still and know that I'm God. And then it says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I will. It is going to happen. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And, you know, in my Bible reading, and my Bible studying now, I highlight everything that has to do with God's heart for the nations and everything from salvation going to the nations and 
all the nations being blessed through him, all the way to his glory being among all nations. Uh, I highlight it in green in my Bible. So I'm just like, and you just see that this is this common theme throughout the Bibles. And just as common in the Psalms is just his plan to be exalted among the peoples of the world. And that is why, you guys, we have this vision to take the gospel out to all nations. That not only his salvation be among them, but they might know him and worship him as well as enjoy him. And, uh, and we're just noticing, man, the enemy wants to dis- distract us from that vision and direction. He wants us to get focused on all kinds of other things rather than this great purpose of him being exalted in the world. Um, and we just, man, by his grace, keep our focus and our vision um, on, our, on the vision. Um, verse 11, closing out here. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Uh, this is an exact quote of verse 7. Uh, that just the Yahweh of the multitude of armies, he's with us. We don't need to be afraid. God of Jacob is our refuge. He's the God of Israel, the nation, and the God of Jacob, the man. Brings it down to an a individual level. And uh, so, Easy, would you mind running and getting the kids for us and bringing them in and they can close and worship uh, with us and, and we'll pray for Mally or Molly. Hopefully I'm going to learn how to say that tonight. In Lakeview we say Mally. Yeah, pretty sure. Mayonnaise and Mally. Well, anyways. Um, but let's just go ahead and um, we can pray while the kids are coming. Let's pray for... Um, just our hearts that are tumultuous and and maybe you're one that raised your hand and you can just pray out a prayer of just running into the cave and running into the refuge tonight and running into that turret that is just immovable when everything else is crashing just uh trusting the lord and and confessing just our struggles to him and just letting him be our fortress that abundantly available help in time of need. Lord, I just confess I was one that raised my hand, God. Just getting a a phone call today that um, just kind of put a wrench in the gears and just the whole time knowing, hey, I can trust you, Lord. I don't need to um, fear in this and yet I'm frustrated and and what's up? Lord, I just confess there's just a tumult in my heart of just some, some personal relationships and things like that that just need your presence and your power and your peace, Lord. And uh, I just need you to fight for your glory in these relationships and fight for love for us and fight for humility and just willing to yield. Just fight for unity, Lord. Just come to you tonight. Just that help, available help for me personally, for Rory, Lord. And just as we've studied so many times in the Psalms, uh, we can look back on your past faithfulness and it demands our present trust. Lord, this isn't the first time I've been here and any one of the things that's causing my heart to quake tonight been there before you've got us through it and we've been on the other end and we've just breathed that sigh of relief and and um 
And Lord, just we take you at your word tonight that we're to count it all joy when we fall into various trials of all kinds of just different sorts. And so, Lord, just thank you, Lord. Thanks for not letting me get comfortable. Thank you for causing me to have to keep turning to you in the, in the hard, tough times, Lord. And so I just trust you in this season. I personally, I run into the refuge and run into the cave with you tonight. You are the cave, Lord. You are the fortress.